The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports. I'm so sad. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> it, it took me a minute. It actually took me a minute to realise what just happened. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. The Women's World Cup Show. On Off the Ball. With Sure Non-Stop Protection Deodorant. Official sponsor of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. Now you're up along. So much to discuss. Just shy of 25,000 in attendance in Brisbane this morning, Irish time, where it finished the Republic of Ireland nil, Nigeria nil. Nigeria and Australia progressed to the knockout stages. The group of death lived up to its billing in that Olympic champions Canada go home, as of course do Ireland. There is a homecoming planned for O'Connell Street in Dublin on Thursday. Very happy to say Gavin Cooney of the 42 here in studio. Hello. How are you? And all the way in Brisbane, she has stayed up very late. We appreciate it. Kathleen McNamee, you wouldn't be sleeping anyway. Hello. Oh, yeah, no, of course not. I wouldn't be sleeping after <laughs> the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I'm nearly, was it, nearly 2 a.m. here. So apologies if I'm not fully coherent at this stage. No, it's OK. We'll um, maybe go chronologically here and talk about the game first and then the fallout. And there has been considerable fallout, as seems to be the way with Ireland at World Cups. I hear everybody think. So Republic of Ireland nil, Nigeria nil. Kathleen, you were at the game. It seemed like a fair-ish result. Both sides could have scored. Nigeria maybe the more clear-cut chances. Ireland had a lot of possession. Uh, there was, we should say, that that probably growing sense in Nigeria's part that Australia were in control against Canada and they subbed off the likes of Kanu and Oshuaola with 20 minutes to go. So they were probably happy enough with nil all. So maybe some of the urgency went out of it on their part. But nil all... Uh, they looked happier at full time than Ireland. There was a sense of dejection in the players' body language, I thought, at the full time whistle. Yeah, it was interesting, like talking to the players after the game. Um, there definitely was less dejection than there was after the Canada game. You know, there was definitely disappointment, but I feel like a lot of the players had worked through their automatic, immediate disappointment after that game. You know, players were really upset, whereas after the game today, players were like, you know, yeah, disappointed, but also kind of proud with how we went I thought actually in the first half it felt like Nigeria kind of were off the pace a little bit more and it felt more in the first half that they were playing for a draw compared to the second half and even you could hear it in the crowd like I think the Nigerian crowd in the second half even though they were far outnumbered by the Irish crowd they were the first time that I've seen a crowd take it to Ireland and you could feel it in their intensity as this half went on that they really felt like they could get a goal. Now, obviously, they are happy enough with the Nilal draw because it means that they do get to progress to the next stage. But, um, yeah, I think, like, it was a lot more positive from Ireland in a lot of senses. I think Denise being back in that familiar role really allowed us to open up a few attacking opportunities that we possibly didn't have. I thought it was her best game of the entire tournament, um, and she said as much as herself after the game. So, yeah... Again, we just didn't ever really look like scoring a goal. Like, I thought it was probably one of the games where we had some of the lesser clear-cut chances. Uh, Katie McGabe did attempt another Olympico from a corner, which makes you think, was the first one actually on purpose or not? But, uh, yeah, I I thought we played much more positively than some of the other games, but I just didn't really feel like we were going to get a goal at any stage. Yeah. We were watching, obviously, on the... TV here, Gavin, and certainly when Katie McCabe taking a corner was being talked about as like a big chance of a direct goal, 
you definitely had the sense we're not creating much here. The the thrust from Vera Pau was, as Kathleen's alluded to, kind of a box shape in midfield. So Denise O'Sullivan released and Sinead Farley along with her, given licence to play between the Nigerian lines was how it was put. And that was a weakness they had identified in Nigeria. Liliag in midfield with Ruisha Littlejohn. And that was... The shape, which, you know, in, in uh, many respects we could all live with and was more attacking in aspiration than the previous two games. Yeah, for sure. Denise O'Sullivan said she had a ball after the game and I didn't know exactly in which sense she meant that meant that phrase. She certainly got on, on, uh, on the ball a lot more often and Ireland looked much better as a result. They gave, because O'Sullivan was released to play a little bit further forward, they had some stable territory in the Nigerian half for the first time rather than uh, uh, booning it along in the hope that Cruz might get onto it and uh, and hold it up um, and Farley in theory did have room to manoeuvre to that other side of the so Pang said afterwards that they said there's pockets of space either side of the Nigerian holding midfielder but often McCabe occupied those spots and Farley kind of um, tracked behind her and covered the space behind her so we saw some really nice link ups between McCabe and O'Sullivan particularly in the first half there was a McCabe back um, back heel that O'Sullivan ran on to and a through ball for Caruso and Caruso just didn't take the shot unfortunately so you wish you saw a little bit more from of that from Ireland because yeah. the great disappointment of the first two games was that O'Sullivan was pretty anonymous and you thought maybe that's a result in the injury maybe also it's tactical that sitting in that sitting as basically a number six probably didn't suit her but at the same time, I mean, you saw Ireland's attempts to build from the back at times were really poor. There was some of the use of the ball from Ag, Little John, Fahi, Quinn. Like Ireland could easily have been a goal down after eight minutes because of a terrible pass out of the, out, out of defence from Louise Quinn. So you can understand then why O'Sullivan is needed in that position as well. So it just goes to show that Ireland just, you know, there's no, I don't think there's any real drama or hysteria to be taken from what happened on the pitch. Ireland were ultimately... You know, they're they're a hard working team that are elevated by one, potentially two world class players that just ran into a quality of opposition that they're not used to. It's just a kind of a force of gravity that, that grounded them that grounded them in the end. Yeah, again, Kathleen, that mixed bag in possession. Gav mentions the Quinn pass to Canu. That would have been a very mm. painful goal to concede. You could see her relief as the ball went wide. Nigeria should have scored there. Uh, when the play was good, it was very good. When the play was bad, it was just very bad. We saw some of those limitations again in possession. Yeah, definitely. Like I tweeted at one stage off the off the ball account, so I was live tweeting the game about the players that are most involved in the game, and it was Connolly, McCabe, uh, Louise Quinn, and that was from the opening 20, 25 minutes, maybe. And uh, the general consensus that I was getting in replies from people was like, maybe it's not a good thing that Louise Quinn is so involved. Cause a lot of her passes, especially in that first half, were really, really poor, and. There was so, as Gavin was saying there, there was so many of the opportunities where, again, it was just that final third ball when we were trying to, like, we would hold the ball really well in midfield. We'd get ourselves into a really good position. But when we were trying to get that final ball to the player where we wanted them to score, it just wasn't really happening for us at all. I, I actually would hazard to say we probably had more opportunities in the other games, even though we maybe didn't play as well as we did tonight when it came to that sort of situation. Um, you might say like a player like Kira Carusa, that's kind of the first couple of months slash weeks of her playing in that position for Ireland. So maybe now that she's established there and I think in the last two games in particular, really seen her grow into that role as like that holding player up there. Maybe now she just needs to turn her focus on, right, well, how do I get my instincts right when it comes to attacking, when it comes to, you know, 
the minute I see that ball and I know I'm in a good position, I know where I'm shooting and I don't even need to think about it because I think sometimes when she gets herself into those positions, we can see her think about it. Um, Like on the positive side, I thought players like Rusha Littlejohn played really well. I thought she like capped off what has been an unexpectedly good tournament for her. And I don't mean that to do her down in any way, more so that she just hasn't played a lot of minutes. I can't remember the last time she played 90 minutes for Ireland outside of this tournament. And even with her club, it's been a really long time. And she's been like one of the main players in Ireland that has been very, very solid and almost covering for some of the other players as well. So I think that's a real positive for us coming out of this. Um, but yeah, definitely seeing the lack in, of depth in our team as well. And again, even the players who came off the bench, they weren't given enough time to do anything. If the players came on too early in Canada, they definitely came on far too late in this game. Yeah, well, that will bring us on to Katie McCabe in due course. Second half, Nigeria, certainly in the early part of the second half, they had some great chances. There was the Courtney Brosnan save from Kanu, which was fantastic save and had echoes of uh, Gordon Banks header into the ground save tipped onto the crossbar and then a moment later Oshawala had another chance which again she probably should have scored so really Nigeria probably had three if not four guilt edge chances to Ireland's none so a uh, draw probably an okay result as that second half uh, continued Kathleen was your sense that Nigeria were happy enough to take nil nil and were sitting back and were saying to the Irish back three listen by all means have the ball I, I didn't really get the sense that they were sitting back, to be honest. Like, there was definitely a couple of nerve. I felt more nervous that Nigeria were going to score, and I thought they were going for it a bit more than we were in terms of getting that. Or maybe just even the opportunities were better than our ones. Like, as I said before, sometimes with these things, when you're, like, in the moment and you're totally focused on the game, it's hard to know. But, like, the crowd were very much, like, egging their team on and like asking them to go for a goal and it felt like the team were responding to that a lot I think they obviously went in at halftime and saw the result in the Australia game and knew that they would likely be safe but also I don't think that Nigeria team would take it for granted considering how back and forth their games have been and how like tight and tense they have been as well like you can't really count on that so I I definitely felt like in the second half they were told to attack Ireland a little bit more that in that first 10 minutes after halftime and then the maybe last 10 15 which are always like kind of key areas for Ireland in terms of when we might shut down a little bit mm. I saw them going for it more so than I thought that they were stepping away and kind of inviting pressure because I think they would know that inviting pressure from this Irish team is a situation you don't want to do too much because eventually you will get a free kick or a corner or something and like that's where we've seen Ireland be successful in the last like 10-15 minutes against Canada and Australia whereas there wasn't really that sort of like Ireland are battering the goal and they're really going for this and oh my god it's so tense like I didn't feel that at all whereas I did feel it a lot more in the other games Yeah they weren't on the rack like Canada were very uncomfortable in the closing 10 minutes Australia were uncomfortable closing 10 minutes I felt Nigeria were more than comfortable Mm. we didn't have the Louise Quinn tactic of up you go for whatever reason Yeah and it didn't well the Louise Quinn going up didn't really work against Canada either because they just pushed to a relatively high line and then we ended up in this bizarre situation where Louise Quinn was trying to run onto balls over the top. It didn't work at all. So no, it didn't didn't go that way. And I think that I think that was because Vera Pau and Ireland were well, Vera Pau at least was pretty happy with the nil nil. It's not bad. It's not a terrible result for Ireland. I think if Nigeria needed to go to win that game, they probably 
would have. They did take off Canu and Ashuala yeah. um, for the final quarter when it was clear that at that point I think they could afford to lose 1-0 if not 2-0 to Ireland just because Canada had, Canada had collapsed in, in Melbourne to Australia so yes, they are not um, coming off if Nigeria desperately want to win the game yeah I, I, I think so like, I mean on the whole I think Ireland I think it's a kind of a tempered disappointment if you're going to kind of take the vibes or reflect on the full three games for Ireland they were put in a very tough group they weren't good enough to win any of the games. I don't think you could construct an argument to say that they were unlucky, particularly to to get um, uh, less than a, get, not to get more than a point. They were good and competitive. Um, I mean, there was only one goal um, deficits against uh, Australia and then Canada, and today nil nil was a perfectly serviceable and adequate result. I think it would have been a little bit different had Nigeria had a little bit more on the line. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, Kathleen, to take that broader view and sum up the football. There was a distinct fear Ireland would lose all three games. They didn't do that. There was a distinct fear Ireland might not score a goal. They scored one, albeit not from play. They certainly didn't take any hammerings. There was no woeful day at the office. So they were competitive, which again is mm-hmm. something they can say, well, we belong at this level. We're, we're a sticky-ish game for teams at this level. So I don't know. That's kind of about breaking even in comparison with how we felt on the eve of the tournament. Yourself and Sinead were on that night. We were worried of a 3-0, 3-1 loss to Australia that night, albeit Sam Kerr we thought would be playing. But either way, in, in that context, it is, a, to use Gav's word, a, a serviceable, acceptable-ish um, group stage without kind of reaching out and, and grabbing the country and, and having those big moments. Yeah, like I recorded the Koi Gig podcast just before this and I'm chatting to Emma Byrne about it and she was astoundingly positive at the other side. She was like, yeah, you can see the bones of what this team are trying to do. Like they've made it to their first major tournament. They've broken that barrier and they're going to take so many lessons and learnings from this. And, you know, uh, she was kind of agreeing with what you're saying. Like we, while we didn't win all those games and we did lose and it was narrow, it, it was competitive. And like mm. there was very few moments in the Australia game or the Nigeria game where I was like, okay, we're actually playing at a level that is way, way, way above us. I think like the period where the two Canadian goals went in, you were a bit more like, okay, this could go badly wrong, but then it didn't in the end. Um, So yeah, I think overall you can look back on this tournament positively. One thing you mentioned there was, you know, another moment, another goal. I think that is one of the things that will maybe will reflect on this tournament and wish even just for the fact that it is the first tournament that we just had a few more of those, even if it did result in a loss on the other side or a draw, having those Katie McCabe moments where the whole country gets to leap out of their seats and be like, yeah, we scored a goal. This is the best thing ever. And even for the people in the stadium to keep the momentum going, that would have been really, really nice. And I think it probably would have made us look back on this tournament quite differently, um, even if the results stayed the same. So, yeah, it's it's weird. I almost feel like I've been so in this bubble for the last two months, really, because even in the lead up to this tournament, there was so much about who was going to be in the team and what can we do and what's realistic and what's not realistic. And I felt from the very start that we were optimistic going into this group with the sort of green glasses on that we did in terms of what the results were going to be. And I don't think the results that we've got are all that far from what I actually imagined. The thing that I'm relieved about coming out the other side is that 
we didn't make a show of ourselves and we kind of did show that we can compete against those teams. And I think heading into the Nations League and then also a Euro, hopefully a Euros tournament and hopefully a better group if we can get that far. Mm. I do think we can do something, especially if this team has more time to gel together. Like we forget that it's only been a couple of months since several members of the squad joined in and our systems totally changed and we played a slightly different type of football than we have for the last couple of years. So there's a lot to build on and a lot to grow and hopefully players will stay fit and we'll actually be able to see the fruits mm. of this tournament. Gab, a word on Vera Pau's performance? Those damned shackles. They're, that undercurrent is there. Oh, we're, we're, here we are now. I mean, it's the same. This is the eternal discourse that we've had around the men's team as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, like we all want to throw the shackles off. Uh, but we quietly tell ourselves and worry that maybe the shackles are all that's propping us up. You know, maybe we're not actually capable of doing more. And this is, this, this is like we've had this debate now for 20 years around the men's team and we're having it now around the, around the senior women's team. To what extent are we attacking, are we limited attacking-wise or to what extent is the manager limiting us attacking-wise? Vera Pau is obviously a very defensive manager. Like she went into the Canada game and said, yeah, I mean, must win game, but the first part of winning is not losing. Mm. So that will tell her all about, uh, tell you all you need to know about her emphasis. Obviously, all coalesces around the fact that Katie McCabe plays a left wing back rather than further forward. I think there's enough around this tournament to suggest that obviously Pau is defensive. Is she overly defensively? Overly defensive, perhaps so. But at what point do the Irish players ever show anything that she says she's actually holding you back? Yeah. Because Ireland were cha- the shackles were off. We were chasing Canada two one, and there was a chronic lack of quality. I, I and the, the I, reason yeah. McCabe stood out, obviously she's a world class player. Yeah. But because O'Sullivan was off at that night, she was the only world class player. And there's an element of she, her. She stood out. Uh, she stood out above the rest of her teammates. Not just because you know she had the attitude and demanded that she would. It's just because she's so much better than them. Yeah. I have to say, Catherine, I probably do agree with that. I find some of the criticism of Pau's approach as being overly defensive a little bit unfair. I, I think she's making a pretty informed decision on the quality she has at her disposal. We're just never going to be a high scoring team. Which, which the quality isn't there at the moment. I think it's perfectly perfectly reasonable to go out against Australia and Canada in particular and be defensively minded first. Yeah, I think because I've had quite a few people say this to me as well over like about stuff that I've said on off the ball at various different points over the last couple of weeks. And for me personally, it's not massively about Vera Powell playing defensively as to why I think that her time as Ireland manager might be up. I I agree with the points that both you guys are making. I think she made the best of the players that she had in front of her and we're, we are never going to be a team that goes out and scores like five or six goals unless we manage to develop, I don't know, like three Katie McCabe's and three Evan Ferguson's that we can just like put onto the one squad. Um, But for me, it's more that I feel like when you ask the players about Vera or like about her contract situation or about how things have been going in this World Cup, there isn't like a an emphatic sort of we back the manager and we think that she is the right person to lead us forward and I think if that was there in the team the contract situations with the FAI wouldn't have stalled in the way they have which makes me believe that it's not so much what's happening on the pitch and that may also be an element in terms of you know tactics and how the team feels they're being set up but there's some sort of disconnect between 
the players and the management at the moment. And I don't know if that's what we want going into another major tournament qualification process, because we have to like face the facts that so much of this tournament has been like overseen by various different things that aren't related to what is happening no, on totally. the pitch. And, and, and you know I what? Think, we'll, we'll come to that I think that's in the more next, that. Yeah, we'll come to that in the next section. I suppose, just to judge you on the football side of things for a moment, I'm not sure the next manager can come in and go down the Stephen Kenny route with the players he had has he or she has at their disposal. That I suppose that's the defense of Pow's footballing approach. We'll get onto the off the field stuff in a yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah, no, there is that. I, I also think there has to be maybe some questions in terms of in game management and how much of that is coming from like in terms of decision making around when substitutes are going to come on the pitch how what substitutes are coming coming on like i think in the last two games that has been massively great and also how much of the in-game management is coming from the management and how much of that is coming from the team that's actually on the pitch uh because a lot of it seems to be coming from on the pitch so i think that i totally agree that i don't think that vera could have done much more with the team that is in front of her mm. There's just uh, an undercurrent there that seems to be saying that there is a bit more going on maybe behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, I, to be honest, I think the undercurrent, it's a full on tsunami at this stage. We're going, yeah. to, take, um, <laughs> we're going to take a short break because the, the off the pitch stuff has just blown up in, in a serious way in the last few hours. So we're back with Kathleen and Gavin just one second. The Women's World Cup showing off the ball is with thanks to Sure Non-Stop Protection Deodorant, official sponsor of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. We'll talk about the off field situation in just a minute. The Women's World Cup Show on Off the Ball with Sure Non-Stop Protection Deodorant, official sponsor of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. Now you're welcome, Mac. Joe Malloy here. We have Kathleen McNamee in Brisbane. We have Gavin Cooney at the 42 here in the studio. We've been talking for the first 20 minutes of the show about the match and the Irish team's performance. Now to the off the field situation, which is just uh, very striking and strange and at odds with this feel good sense that this tournament was meant to represent in so many ways. Just to give the backdrop to the game this morning, uh, because I think the context is maybe important and it's twofold. One, there seems to have been over the last week, two weeks, based on the reporting from journalists out in Australia, a distinct cooling between the FAI and Vera Pau. And secondly, players are now kicking to touch very pointedly when they're asked if they would like Vera Pau to stay on. So on the first point, the cooling between the FAI and Vera Pau, uh, she was talking to the media over the weekend and, uh, you know, her responses when asked about the contract situation were along the lines of, well, I haven't heard anything yet, have you? to the journalists and the FAI are saying nothing. Jonathan Hill, the FAI CEO, had very much said to journalists at the Oireachtas hearing, you were there, Gav, he had said, look, we'll talk in Australia, we'll talk in Australia, we'll talk about Vera Pau in Australia then. And yet in Australia, no interviews have been given and none are planned. And yet the reports, the vibe on or off the record has been a real sense over the last 10 days of a cooling and that suddenly the FAI are not of a mind to renew. And then to the second point on the players kicking to touch, I suppose we saw Katie McKay before the France game asked if she'd like Vera Pau to stay on and she said, that's not my job. And then over the weekend, Lily Ag, Lucy Quinn, uh, Kira Carusa and Louise Quinn all uh, 
dodge that question uh, with you know we're thinking about the next game we're not thinking about this now Louise Quinn quipped I haven't thought what I'm having for lunch later um, and so probably in that context today takes on a certain resonance Kathleen you're out there you can probably give us the best sense uh, Katie McCabe seemed to go over to Vera Pau there was an exchange during the game and Vera Pau expanded on this in the press conference Katie McCabe wanted fresh legs so what Vera Pau said was if Katie McCabe says she wants a change she's not the coach everybody was uh, doing so well I said what do you want Katie to take our best player off and Vera Pau said we made the changes that were necessary now she said she had no problem with McCabe's coming over to her but said she would make the final decision and in the course of the press conference Kathleen she revealed that Katie McCabe was talking about Sinead Farley which I suspect is not something Katie McCabe was thrilled to have been made public and McCabe has followed that up by simply tweeting an emoji of a closed zip over mouth face and nothing else. So take that wherever you want. This is extraordinary, really. Yeah, like, so the first we heard of it, because we were quite high up where the media room is, but someone who was sitting down uh, near the dugout where the Irish team was sent a message in to say that, like, Katie is screaming at Vera for fresh legs. Now, we only heard that side of things. It was Vera who added the, it was Farley she was calling to take off. And again, you can't really comment one way or the other on that because we weren't there, we didn't hear it. But I'd say Katie would not be happy at all that that was what Vera said. Look, like Vera and Katie have said for a long time that they have a very frank, open, honest conversation. They've admitted to, you know, getting angry at each other at various different times but that they always know that it comes from a place of like both team both player and manager wanting the team to be successful so i feel like this is probably in the context of all the stuff that you just mentioned there you know the players avoiding the question the cooling of the of things at the fai this is probably blown up a little bit more than it would if that wasn't all rumbling on in the background because i think it was I, I initially when it happened, I was like, OK, this is very normal for Katie and Vera to kind of be shouting at each other like this. I didn't think too much of it in the long term. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, there. I mean, even the way Vera was asking, answering questions in the press conference, she was asked, you know, do you think this is your last game? And she was very clear that she didn't think it was and or that she yeah that she still had games left to play and then she was also asked would she be at the homecoming on thursday which was a very pointed question and she looked shocked she was like well why are you asking me this like of course i'm going to be there with my team um i mean i i think this the contract negotiations cooled a long time ago because there was a thing that they were going to do it before the world cup and they were going to sort her contract before the world cup and then, obviously, in the weeks prior to the lead up, the athletic article came out and uh, Vera admitted that like things had stalled, not necessarily linked to that article, but just that that was around the time that we heard first that things had stalled. And then those first few weeks that we were over here and on the ground, it was kind of like everyone wasn't thinking about asking questions about Vera's contract because it was like, OK, well, how are we going to do in this World Cup right now? That is the thing that's most important. And then once a Canada game happened and it was pretty clear that we wouldn't be going any further, that's when the question of her contract started to come up again. And we obviously had this whole thing of players not wanting to answer the question, Vera being very clear on what she wanted and the FAI just not saying anything at all. So it just leaves you in this weird 
gray space of well what is actually the truth mm. and could someone in the FAI have stepped in earlier and just said yeah look we're going to chat to Vera we're going to take a month or a couple of weeks once the World Cup is over and we're going to have some chats and negotiations with her and then we will answer everything and it probably again would have doused some of this fire that's now happening but instead we've seen them not say anything or like the problem with them sometimes they seems to be either saying something far too quickly or not saying anything at all and I know we need some sort of guidance from them in some regard because otherwise the players are asked answering questions which is what they've been doing for this entire lead up to this tournament and the tournament that aren't about the football that mm. aren't about you know things that they want to be talking about and like yeah. I don't want to be spending my time talking about these things either like you'd rather some clarity from leadership yeah and I think this silence has exacerbated the question of the players about POW it's like well we're not getting anything from the FAI and so it's the, the, the only access we have is to players so we're asking the players we'll just play the clip of Vera Pau in the press conference asked here by Dave Kelly about the exchange with Katie McCabe and then there's a follow up by uh, Gavin Comiskey of the Irish Times just have a listen it seems um, Katie McCabe was quite vociferous in trying to get some changes onto the onto the field but they, they seem to come much later than uh, the last game probably different circumstances why would we change? That, that's why I'm asking you the question. I don't yeah. know what the Katie McCabe are. says that she wants to change. It doesn't mean she's not the coach. Yeah? Um, everybody was doing so well. So I said, what do you want, Katie? Taking the best player off? No. <laughs> Just to confirm there, so your captain, Katie McCabe, asked you to make changes and you refused. Is that correct? Fair no, comment? No, no. <laughs> No, because a, a, a player doesn't ask and you refuse. A player can ask always. But as a coach, it's not a refusal. As a coach, you make decisions on what is necessary. A player can say everything to a coach, at least to me. What did she say? That she wanted, that she wanted uh, fresh legs. Yeah, and on her what, side. And, and why didn't you make that change? Because everybody was doing so well, Sinead uh, Farrelly was arguably the best player on the pitch at that moment, so I was not prepared to take the best player off. So, uh, well, I suppose a few things, Gav. I mean, if your pair's perfectly entitled to tell Katie McCabe to go jump, like, Katie yeah. McCabe has no say in team selection. I mean, I, like, I think your pair's entitled to say, like, I, I, I refuse. I mean, I, there's no refusing, I just make the decisions. Um, and to Kathleen's point, there's definitely extra resonance in this now because of what's going on uh, in the build up to this game. Because it, it, if it was just no tweet, you'd say that's just an exchange between Katie McCabe, who can be hot headed and her manager. And it's all forgotten. The fact that McCabe has then tweeted the zipped mouth emoji suggests she has quite a few things she wants to say. Yeah. And Katie McCabe, more than any other player, because she's in a lot of the press conference, she, she is aware of the context around Vera Pau, that Pau suddenly looks like this very weakened figure. And so she would, on some level, understand what tweeting yeah. would represent. So this looks uh, serious. This is a circus. I mean, the, the, like everything at this world, every turn Ireland have had that this World Cup has been overshadowed by something going all the way back um, to the playoff in Glasgow um, you didn't need a masters in behaviour in human behaviour to understand that when McCabe sat beside Vera Pau at the press conference before the France game at Tallis Stadium that there's not a huge amount of warmth there 
does there need need to be a huge amount of warmth between player and manager? Not necessarily. There's evidently not a huge amount of warmth between the players and Vera Pau. Just read all the comments mm. uh, that they've that they've come out with. Yes, they're being put in a slightly invid- invidious position by the FAI's Trappist vow of silence. These are the only people who, to whom the journalists have access. Hence, they're asked the question. But they could be more vociferous if they truly wanted Pau to hang around. Mm. So, so that's the context to all of this. I think I'd, I would. I would agree with you and I think the most of the country would agree with you that why would Vera Pau allow Katie McCabe to be choosing her substitutes for her? It's when you when you hear the name Sinead Farley thrown in there you think is that an issue, is that an individual thing with Sinead Farley to give McCabe a little bit of credit it could be tactical every time she went forward Farley filled in behind her uh, and the the whole debate about McCabe in this team is to whether she, is is to how Ireland can get her further forward is she being limited McCabe herself clearly wants to go further forward yeah. um, so that's to give a little bit of um, uh, exculpation to McCabe on it. Um, it's not a good look for McCabe. I also think Pau, it showing if her characteristic lack of tact had no real need to be as open and honest about it in public as she ha- as she was. In, in naming Farley, yeah, because it's it's ironic. Um, now this is Pau's character. I mean, there's I understand a, that. I understand sorry, that. But I was just going to say it's ironic because Tony O'Donoghue interviewed Katie McCabe on RT Television, and I suspect Tony at that stage did not uh, hadn't heard about what was going on. Certainly not in the press conference because his final question to McCabe is. And wasn't it great that Sinead Farley got 90 minutes? Yeah. I mean, you couldn't make it up, actually, in hindsight. And Katie McCabe certainly didn't say, well, actually, I didn't think she should have had 90 minutes. Katie McCabe did what you do in public. And she said, it's great that Sinead got 90 minutes. She's such an elegant player on the ball. She's yeah. brilliant. And that's great that she got the 90. So to then walk back in and find out that she's been outed by her manager as saying, get Farley off. Yeah. And Farley's in the dressing room with her. And that, I that, can now see what you took to Twitter. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good context to add because there's a sense of personal achievement in Farley playing 90 minutes. She's sure. come back after seven years out of the game, having subbed, subbed on the hour mark the last few games, and she herself, Farley, had given an interview to Tony in which he uh, in which Tony asked her about it, and you know you said you'd do it, you'd uh, you'd be able to play 90 minutes, and said yeah I did, and there there I went and showed showed it. So time now is effectively a flat circle. Ireland are coming home from a World Cup, and we're wondering about a potential rift. Uh, well, not much of a potential. It's a definite riff now yeah. playing out in public between the captain and the manager. Um, and if you were to say, and then there's also this kind of weird situation in which she's now out of the contract. We don't really know why the FAI have stalled on it. They were clearly eager to renew up until recently, uh, up to a point, it gets to the stage where, okay, we'll suspend it and concentrate on the tournament. But ultimately, because results haven't been there and there's nothing else to talk about before the third game, it's dominated the, la- the back end of the tournament, uh, her contract situation. So this is now, if this comes down to Pau, will Pau be given a new contract or like what's the relationship between McCabe and her? Ultimately history teaches us that if the best player and the captain has an issue with the manager, the manager in that situation does not win. Kathleen, what's your sense of the FAI's grand change of heart here? Because they absolutely, and look, I'm not going to make my points again about how they behaved in December, but I mean, they bypassed the team completely. They bypassed any kind of protocol completely on the back of the reports publication to give a full public backing of Vera Pau in December. And they've qualified for the World Cup. They've put in perfectly credible performances. And yet somewhere the week before, and then the stance seems to have hardened across the last couple of weeks based on reports, they've decided she's no longer the person for the job. Like it's not a football decision because the performances haven't been so bad as to say 
this is fractured, this isn't working anymore. So I, I can't actually pinpoint when or why the FAI have suddenly done a complete U-turn on Vera Pau. It's not clear to me. I, someone suggested maybe they would have been unhappy that she had almost prompted the athletic piece, like a sense of, geez, Vera, we batched in December and then it seems it was you that initiated the athletic piece. Could you not have left it all well eno- enough alone? I mean, that's about the most credible theory I'm working off because I, I can't actually see or understand this massive U-turn on the FAI's part when it comes to Vera Pau. Yeah, I know I've tried to pinpoint it myself as to when I, I've definitely felt it heat up since we've been over here. But there was just uh, that last press conference before we left, the one in Tala where it was Katie and Vera. Yeah. The I it's so hard to explain to people who weren't there what the mood was like in the room and how tense it was. And you know, that was supposed to be the last time before everyone left to go for a World Cup and you know, questions about injuries and about you know, all the footballing stuff that you would expect. But the attitude in that room from every single person, whether it was a official, whether it was Katie and Vera themselves, the journalists. It just felt like something had tipped somewhere and it had gone over an edge. And I wasn't sure going into the World Cup if they were going to be able to bring that back. And there was such a clear and obvious frustration even after the game then with the players being asked about the article again and the allegations again that I wonder it's not so much that it was a massive U-turn that was provoked by something massive if it was more just a gradual building up of like we can't sustain this pressure anymore Mm. and the players were already under insane pressure going to their first World Cup was it just a a dam that kind of broke and I feel like it's more that I even look at like Vera's attitude to whenever she picked their squad and you know, talking to her the next day and her saying it was like the worst day of her career, having to tell players that they weren't going. And anytime you tried to kind of turn the conversation around to something more positive, it was just all negative. Like I literally, I asked her, I think I was like one of the only people that was like, wait a second, we're going to a World Cup. You've just told 23, 26, if you want to include the three that were um, provisional players and might be able to get in the squad, that they're going to their first ever World Cup. Like, is this not really exciting? And her response was just so down and out. And I was like, God, if you're a squad and that's the general attitude that the management is going into, because you're going to be probably a bit more open with them than you are in front of the media. What is the atmosphere like in the dressing room and how are players reacting to this? You know, that's a chance for the manager to say like that really hard that some of these players aren't coming but also positivity yes Yes, we're going here and i wonder if behind the scenes has that been happening more and more and that's where the build-up has come because i don't think there's been any one incident that has particularly changed things apart from maybe tonight which may have been a complete nail in the coffin yeah and and i guess the other point is, Gav, we don't know how contract negotiations were going. Maybe mm. they were proving tough for some reason and, and relationships can fracture amidst negotiations like that. What's your sense, though, of the FAI's journey here from December to July? Well, I don't understand what, what extra baggage is he, was here this month or last month and that wasn't there in December. Like the Athletic article, in all fairness, was largely a reheat of what was in the December article, which they unequivocally backed Vera Pau and I know th- there was criticism about n- them not commissioning a review into and dealing with it at the time 
I have a little bit of sympathy and understanding for why they didn't do that. But I asked, in December, I asked Jonathan Hill, had they done due diligence to ensure that there were none of these issues involving the Irish players? And he said, correct. Absolutely. So they, they were, they were, back then they were fully confident that whatever the hell went on at Houston Dash, and that is denied by Pau and, mass, and she, she's going to fight to clear her name, yeah. that there were no such issues with Ireland. So I now do, I cannot understand. I'm, I'm in the dark on it. I can't understand what has changed of why there has been a cooling off. Maybe that maybe there's a sense that there's evidently the players are cool on her. They're not going to come out. The the players certainly didn't not perform for her at the World Cup. I don't think there was any kind of uh, insubordination of people not following game plans or anything. In all fairness to them, maybe there's a sense of cooling off. Maybe we've had just we've had enough of this person. But if you went away for six weeks with your boss, would you not kind of at times be rolling your eyes and think, is this not a bit much here? I actually think it's a it's a bit of a risk uh, for the FAI not to renew that contract because not qualifying for the Euros now is a failure mm. for this team. Mm. Um, and the Nations League campaign is not the most demanding campaign, but it's a sprint. It's from September to December. And after that, Ireland will know whether they're in the playoff or they're out. They can't qualify automatically. Um, it's, it, it all hinges now on games starting in September. So it is a bit of a risk now to jettison Pau and bring in someone new. I don't think the individual attacking quality is there to automatically, automatically assume someone will, will come in and build on what Pau has done. I don't think there's an auto. I don't. Think, I think that's a dangerous assumption to think that there's someone out there that would automatically take the team yeah. to the next level. Um, you could say that I was doing the show on last midweek with Jerry, and he was saying it was a bit mature of the FAI not to grant the contract extension before the uh, the tournament, as we've seen them and the RFU do yeah. before, and then the tournament goes wrong, and you're lumbered with a manager who's kind of a dead duck. Maybe, but it's just the silence and this total vacuum that has been allowed to develop. Yeah, but the, uh, the point on that though is. They started negotiations mm. and then they stalled. Yeah, that's a good if, they, point. if they had said in March or April, we are not making the mistake of giving out contracts pre World Cup, therefore we will negotiate with Vera Pau on return. Yeah. Then that would have quelled any of the questioning. It's that they were like, it was full steam ahead, Vera Pau was very keen, and then it was silence, and actually it's not full steam ahead. So it was that sudden abrupt turn. That's what kind of caused the confusion, mm. I think. There was also the fact as well that a lot of the players were pushed to have any sort of club contractual situation sorted going into the World Cup. So if that was the general vibe around the team, why didn't it apply to the manager and FAI leadership as well? Yeah. Although I am slightly reticent to give a manager a contract before a major tournament. I, it's not something I particularly enjoy, but I'm like, well, if the players were forced to have their affairs in order, then well, not forced, but encouraged to have their affairs in order. Surely that should have been across the board. And look, pa, pa, sorry, Joe, but Pau hasn't helped it with her lack of tact. Like, I mean, she's, you know, she's been quite open in the last couple of days about how annoyed she is. And like, this should be sorted. Absolutely. Like that's that megaphone dis- diplomacy doesn't help things either. But it's just like a vacuum has been allowed to develop and now we're kind of guessing as to why, you know, putting timelines together is a correlation rather than causation. Yeah. Why is there no contract extension being offered here? Um, and if there hasn't been, why not just say it ahead of the tournament and just allow Pau to enjoy a bit of a victory lap, which she deserves. We're now She's now coming home from a homecoming on Thursday and we'll be watching her interactions with McCabe. We're studying body language. Just again, there's like what should have been an uncomplimented great news story has been overshadowed at every turn. Yeah. As an aside, by the way, when Roy Bart said due diligence had been done back in December, did he mean in the between the three errors between the report's publication and the statement? Yeah, it was Jonathan that. Hill that answered the question. I, 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 I think I used a kind of a vague phrase like for previously, okay. as in the, the, nothing had been nothing had been raised. Okay, and that the they had discussed. I think it was twenty four hours after the this press conference it was a twenty four hour 
about 24 hours after the initial report was out and they had talked about it at board that day. But uh, certainly, I mean, they didn't subject it to days worth of rigour, certainly. Um, or but hours, I'd say. Or potentially hours. I mean, they, they said that they battled around the board um, that day. But they were very clear that there had been no issues raised as regards treatment of Irish players sure. prior to that. Sure. No, fair enough. Um, just on that question that she was asked, uh, we have the clip here about the homecoming on Thursday. Kathleen, you referenced it, so we might as well just have a listen because, again, it is it is quite a pointed question to Vera Pau. Do you feel this is your last game and will you be at Thursday's homecoming? I don't feel this is my last game because <laughs> we are going home from a World Cup. Um, and then the second, if I am at a homecoming, why would I not be at a homecoming? <laughs> I go back with my team. <laughs> <coughs> Otherwise, you would have stayed here enjoying the World Cup. I mean, it is extraordinary that, like, this, I, I, we're being asked these questions. Is, I feel I'm getting half the story here. I, I don't know how it's that severe. And she seemed a bit taken aback that the question was being asked, but I'm sure it was asked for a, a very good reason, you know? Um, so I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it's, In it's, fairness, it's even strange... when that one was asked, I was like, it, for me, that was like a death. I was like, is there something here that we don't know? Because that just seems a step too far. One thing, if she's not getting a contract, you know, yeah. but it's a totally other thing to say. She doesn't get to come back home to Dublin and enjoy, hopefully, all the fans that turn out to celebrate the team. Like, at the end of the day, this World Cup is her World Cup as much as it is the players, no matter what happens after this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I, I think as a final thought, and we'll see how it all plays out in the coming days, there is the FAI perspective on this, there seems to be the player's perspective on this, which isn't overly positive towards Pau. I would say, Gav, in public opinion, generally out there, her stock has never been higher. I'd say she's beloved. She's the woman that brought this team to the World Cup. She comes across brilliantly in her interviews with Tony pre and post game. Um, smiling figure with all the fans. Like, I'd say the general public following this slightly casually are probably scratching their heads and saying what's, what's um, actually happening here I'm obviously not out there not really doing kind of much reporting on, but I'm just I'm bewildered like you put it well that I'm feeling I'm getting half the story here I mean you've got one sense like everyone is singing off the same hymn sheet in terms of we've learned so much from this World Cup experience for the future the manager is insistent that she'll be, be there the players are the players um, are non-committal the FAI are completely silent like what is going on I think, I think this now needs to be addressed ideally address it before Thursday and just if she if Pau is leaving Give her the uh, give her the homecoming and let her enjoy it with a bit of closure. Again, it's just you know like the say. I mean, if you're rationally analysing Ireland's games, you have to say, look, one point, one goal against top opposition in our first World Cup. Yeah, we can't be expected. Um, couldn't have expected much more. The World Cup is magic because it has that power uh, to move the emotions of everyone, and everyone pulls in the same direction and gets carried away with it. That didn't happen uh, here, obviously, because the results. But also, there's never been a sense that you could sit down, you could sit back and enjoy this because there's always been something. Yeah, it's never there was the sing, there was a singing, and then the pearl clutching on Sky after after Hamden Park. There was the athletic allegation. There was the sorry, the NWSL allegations. There were then reheat in the athletic. Then Katie's injury. Then Denise's injury in that bizarre aborted friendly with Colombia. Uh, we maybe got to focus on the Canada game a little bit, and then we were out. And then the vacuum was filled with Vera Pau's contract, and now this like time is a flat circle we're coming home from World Cup and we're wondering about the relationship between Ireland's best player and captain and the manager going into the next campaign that kicks off right around the corner it's kind of a really sour 
taste of dysfunction really to mm. end the World Cup on. Um, you would hope that it's sorted reasonably quickly and we can understand why this delay, why the vacuum, why so much speculation and alternative opinions are allowed to fill it. Yeah. I suppose Kathleen and, and have final word and go wherever you want to go but I mean even if it's suddenly sorted now in the next 48 hours it hung over what should have been a World Cup to enjoy in a very straightforward way. Exactly. And it's everything that Gavin has just said there. There's been so many points where I've turned to various different people reporting on this and just been like, God, would it not just be nice to talk about the football and not anything else? Um, I do still think no matter what happens with Vera Pau and how this ends, if it ends in the next couple of weeks, this team will still have left a massive mark on Ireland and Irish football and I don't think that can be forgotten in all of this and I think if I was to say anything for a final note it would be that it would be we have just finished our first ever World Cup it wasn't exactly what we wanted but we got here and you have to knock on that door and someone has to open it first and we have finally got there after years and years of trying and you look at teams like the Canadians are crashing out as well so you know we're not in bad company when we're losing uh, with similar sort of people like that. But I think you look at everything that's happened in the last five or six years since Liberty Hall, we've got somewhere massively quick in terms of development. And if it is in Vera to carry us on, we need to make sure whoever comes in is really invested in developing the squad, developing those younger players. We didn't get to even see the likes of Jesse and Jesse Stapleton in the way we'd like Taro Hanlon, Aaron McLaughlin. There's such a wealth of talent on the way up and we don't want to be in a situation like we are now, say with a Stephen Kenny coming in, looking back on those last years where we should have benefited and jumped off a platform with the players that we have. So whether it's Vera, whether it's someone else, we need to get these next couple of steps right. And it's <laughs> I was gonna say it's gonna be very interesting. I will hopefully be watching all this from my bed as I sleep for about a month. But it'll be very, very interesting to see what the FAI do and how they choose to seize this moment because that is what they need to do. All the politics, all the off-field stuff, on-field stuff, whatever it is. That needs to be put to one side and the question needs to be asked, how do we grow women's football in Ireland? How do we make sure that we are 100% on track to go to the Euros? Because that has to be the next step. Yeah, well, listen, Bev Beckins, thank you very much. Cheers. No problem at all. Kathleen McNamee in Brisbane taking a well-earned break and Gavin Cooney, the 42, thank you for coming in. Cheers. Much appreciated. The Women's World Cup showing off the ball with thanks to Sure Nonstop Protection Deodorant, official sponsor of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. The Women's World Cup Show on Off the Ball with Sure Nonstop Protection Deodorant, official sponsor of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023.